The Unbiased Podcast, Your Money, Your Future, is recorded at Exchange, 22 Bishopsgate, London, and powered by Copus. Hello, I'm Karen Barrett, CEO and founder of unbiased.co.uk, and this is The Unbiased Podcast, available to listen to completely free from wherever you find your great audio experiences. Unbiased.co.uk has a range of really useful calculator tools to help you plan your pension or mortgage. Head online now and try them out. Welcome to Your Money, Your Future, where I'm excited to be talking to a host of fascinating guests who have succeeded no matter what challenges life has thrown at them. Today, I'm really pleased to be joined by Nick Crook, the founder of Bordies, a retailer providing premium swimwear at affordable prices. Nick, hello and welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Hello, thank you for having me, Karen. So let's start with more about Bordies. You founded the business back in, was it 2015, 2014? 2014, 2015, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Great. After a career in sports fashion. So tell us all about why you started Bordies and what journey you've been on so far. Okay, yeah, right. So I grew up in the 80s and 90s where Brands were mega uh, and really coming to the front. And I went to business school at Loughborough. I was really interested in, in, in sports, playing basketball. And, and I'd done my sort of GCSEs, A-levels in business. As part of my degree, which is a business degree, you have to do a year in industry. So it was like a sandwich course, four-year course. And for that third year, I managed to get a job at Reebok. So back then, you know, adverts were on posters on a sort of pin board in the business school. And I went for this job, which is a year job working at the Reebok head office that used to be in Lancaster. And I got the job. And really, that was my introduction to the world of fashion, say footwear, clothing, accessories, sportswear. And then I kind of went on from there. So in terms of the business degree, did you always know that you wanted to do some sort of business? Or was it just, oh, I'll do this while I think about what I'm going to do? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I've always been really entrepreneurial. I can remember as a young kid kind of washing cars for money or gathering cigars at weddings and trying to sell to the guests at a wedding. I always love hearing the things that the entrepreneurial folk could tell me they did as kids. I did a number of things and I think back and think, God, that was actually quite creative. Like any way to get your hands on some money. Interesting. Yeah, absolutely. So academically, I, I worked really hard, but I wasn't as gifted on all the sort of traditional subjects that's yeah. in so I got to lean towards more sort of vocational qualifications and had really good A-levels. And yeah, just felt like business studies was something that I was sort of torn between business and design. So I did design technology at A-level, uh, loved it, absolutely loved that course. And actually I went to look around universities for both design and business studies. And I remember I went to Salford University and the kind of course director said to me, or said to everyone actually, if you come here and you want to work at design because you want to make money don't bother it's just there's so much money in the design world and it, it was quite a sort of brutal truth maybe the graduates around that which was kind of like late 90s weren't getting many jobs i don't know but it definitely put me off <laughs> and so i was sort of torn a little bit between that and i found a course at loughborough which was like retail marketing management which was it allowed you to pick your options and you could be more creative on some of the subjects so there's a lot of yeah. subjects 
on advertising promotion, advertising strategy, branding, things like that, less about economics and finance and stuff, which you had to do those modules to complete the course, but you're able to tailor it that way. So I guess it felt natural going into the business, doing like business studies and then sort of moving into this world of clothing really just happened just for that placement year and I never turned back. Wow. So you've got, you've had some great experience from really big brands. Tell me more about the idea for Bordies and how you got started. Yeah, really quickly from Reebok, I went to work for Umbro, which at the time were one of the biggest football brands in the world, <laughs> obviously everyone from the England national team to Man United and Chelsea. So very early on, really cool things like photo shoots with some big name football players and sponsorship deals with different football clubs and things like that. And that was great. And I just kind of moved through working for other brands as well. So I moved to London and and joined Levi's as marketing manager for the UK. And, you know, they got legendary advertising Levi's and it's part of a really amazing team. And then I worked for a brand called K-Swiss that was really blowing up at the end of the sort of early noughties. And their background was tennis, but they were becoming lifestyle brands. So I was there, I was there kind of head of marketing. And then I just saw a gap in the market really. So I... I was in Australia, seeing friends and met some people that were interested in developing swimwear. And I looked at the market and I thought, well, actually, there's not many, there's not many options for swimwear. This is back in about 2000 and 2006, I think. Such a long time ago. And yeah, I just uh, started investigating the market and I was involved in a business for a number of years out of Australia. And in the end, it didn't really work out. I didn't really feel like it was an equitable deal venture. Did that teach you a lot though? It's interesting, failures teach you as much as the successes. Yeah, absolutely. That was a big learning curve and I was able to take a look and learn from a lot of the mistakes that have been made and go out on my own launch brand and shape it in a way that I knew was going to be the most impactful and deliver the best results. Yeah, it was it was slow and steady. So the brand, we showed it, we developed the range and we showed it to salvages and a number of stores. We were quite late in the season. This was back in 2014. But we had really great support. First season, Selvages bought the collection. ASOS bought the collection. Stores like Fenix bought it. So we had developed a bit of an order book and then we were able to go to the factories and start from there. And How just- do you think you were able to get such big names interested in your line that quickly? What was it about the brand? I mean, there's... If I'm honest, it was a lots of connections and relationships okay. that I'd already forged over the years yeah. through those other brands I worked for. And, you know, it, we, I did a really good price point. So we're, at the time, we were retailing at £45, which was a really accessible price point. It wasn't as low as the lowest supermarket or high street swimwear, but it wasn't as high as some of the, the yeah. really kind of high-end luxury swimwear brands that can go up to £200. You can pay for some shorts. So, and we offer a really great markup for the retailer. And the prints, it's really the artwork is what differentiates bodies from other brands it's unique and it's distinctive and it's fun and fresh and original so we keep bringing that back each year people seem to like it do you think there's any connection in your business attitude and your upbringing how did your childhood influence your attitude towards money yeah i mean from a i touched on a on it a minute ago like from a sort of creative design point of view growing up in the 80s and 90s with all these different cultures you think of things like mtv and, and music and the music scene there you feel about the art world in that era skate culture surf culture you know we the world was opening up and it was a lot more buoyant to come out mm-hmm. 
the eighties, I know there was recession, but generally going into the nineties, things we had a while before the Gulf War where there was a buzz, there was a boom in the economy. So I was influenced by that in my childhood, but in terms of my upbringing, you know, my parents are both, my dad's just turned 80 and they're both born during the war, grew up where they were quite frugal. We were we were reasonably well off. My dad was very clever and he'd worked in industry and he'd run companies and he was, a, he was one of the directors for a big company and we lived comfortably, but they were always quite kind of tight and quite frugal and careful of money. And I've got three brothers, so there's four of us. And I can remember them talking about in the eighties, I think interest rates went up uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 20%. Yeah. My dad always talks about people pulling pipes in the pub in, in the evening just to get extra income. But yeah. crazy to think about. But the other thing is coming from post-World War II mentality is like when you come coming off rationing and things like that, the luxury items or brand names were quite a new thing. And I probably grew up not having those things, being deprived from Nike or Levi's or, yeah. you know, those type of products. They, I, it was a natural desire to want these cool things so that when I was old enough to afford them, I could buy them. But then being interested in footwear and clothing, it's just, just very natural to me. Yeah, yeah. When you set up parties, I don't know whether you raised investment or you did it from your own money, but I'm assuming you didn't have much like most businesses when you started. Talk me through that, like when you've got, I don't know, some money and you've got to make it stretch. Yeah. I had a good job at K-Swiss. I actually was made redundant from there. They went from a kind of centralized management team to a decentralized one. Mm-hmm. I took a little bit of redundancy from that and I had some saving. So I was able to pretty much self-finance it to begin with. And then as it grew, I remember getting a big order from ASOS for some T-shirts that I was sort of distributing. And then I had to reach out to my parents and be like, oh, you know, I got a purchase order here for X amount of money, but I can't afford to, man- you know, to pay the yeah, back. Yeah, yeah. So it was the best investment they ever made, yes? Watch my payment back. But uh, <laughs> I, uh, yeah, no, it was, it just allowed me to grow and build the business. Yeah. And also, I think with one of, the, one of the products with ASOS, they actually managed to get them to pay me pro forma, which was sort of like, wow, that. yeah. They, they wanted this. I was distributing these t shirts and they wanted this product so badly, they were willing to pay up front for it, which excellent. Uh, Great negotiation, yeah. Yeah, but otherwise, no, I've not taken on investment and uh, resisted it really. And part of that comes from experience from the first business that I was involved in. Sometimes there's too many cooks in the kitchen. There are some success stories, but you yeah. Yeah. have a lot of founders being pushed out of the business. Yeah, that- yeah, I think that's great advice. Maintain control. It's your vision. You want to own it and make sure you, yeah. you can control where it goes. Absolutely. So I wanted to move now on to financial advice and money sort of questions. What do you think the most useful piece of financial advice you've ever received is? I mean, it's the old saying, I think it's probably from uh, Alan Sugar, but, you know, profit is uh, sanity and sales turnover is vanity. And yeah. it's true. <laughs> We're just working really hard on our margins and just making sure that, you know, we turn the right profit that we need to turn. I can't think of anything specifically in terms of financial advice, but... And cash flow is just so important as well. It's just the lifeblood. And my dad was always talking about cash flow with me and trying to do that forecast for the next you know, 12 months. And things are changing so quickly and fashion changes so quickly. Yeah. Uh, 
is critical, but you've got to respect all cash flow and the turnover and the profit. I was going to ask you about COVID because uh, it was interesting. I was so happy that I ran an online business during that period and people could work from home and our customers could connect with the professionals remotely and I felt for the retail businesses etc how did you deal with COVID you know did that pose you many problems or was it pretty much life as usual? No it had a huge impact on our business 2020 we had a third of our turnover cancelled or our orders were cancelled from major stores that were closed and we've just been working through 2021 to recover from that and now we're back in growth this year but the word everyone was using back then was pivoting and we did pivot to online. We'd already started the process regional and build a much better website and consumer experience back in the end of 2019. So once it started happening around March time, we were already kind of ahead a little bit. We were traditionally a wholesale business. We saw a huge jump in sales and, it, and we really kind of doubled down on advertising to push traffic to the website. It worked, you know, we saw yeah, good. Cool record sales. The only challenge is the profitability again. Because to get that traffic to the website, it's very expensive with Facebook and Google. And now since the Facebook iOS or the Apple iOS update, it's getting harder to, for Facebook and digital marketing. Yeah. Um, we have those challenges, but it was great. It, it's amazing to feel like when the shops were all closed, we still had a route to market. And yeah, we, that's amazing. We do a lot of business in America and there are states like Florida, Texas, South Carolina, Los Angeles, they were still going to the beach, even during lockdown and still have pools and lakes and you name it so they were buying swimwear that was great but now it's kind of like how do we get the balance between wholesale and direct consumer yeah yeah so what's the hardest lesson you think you've ever learned about money either in your personal life or business wise I'm not sure I mean I, I, I would describe myself as being quite a steady guy and I like playing blackjack you know and if I go to the casino with friends and it's not often but if I do I got friends who've got businesses, really successful businesses, and they're doubling down and they are putting huge bets, huge antes in early, and then they get huge gains. But I've also seen them go back to the cash machine like five times, or I've had to give them my chips. And I'm the sort of guy that's kind of slow and steady and not spending money or gambling within my means. You know, it is a gamble, yeah. like Jack, yeah. of course, but I'm more about the long term and not yeah. the quick gains. Yeah. I don't know if that answers your question, but that's kind of... Uh, it's quite risk-adverse. You're very nice giving your chips to your, your high-spending mates, though. Yeah, I would say I'm risk-adverse. And, and just, it's too many examples. I've been in this business for over 20 years now, and you can think of lots of amazing clothing footwear brands that have gone bust mm. for one, one reason or another, but usually through, like, mismanagement or bad financial management. Think about Jack Wills and Jack Wills. yeah. Uh, valued at something like half a billion pounds and it, it ends up getting sold to Sports Direct for 11 million, I think. Brands like Superdry have fallen off a, a lot and there's, there's, there's lots of examples of brands that have fallen away. Debenhams, that's an example. Yeah. You look around and yes, you do see a lot of successes as well as all those brands that come bust, but it, it makes it does make me cautious. And things like retail space so if i had gone fully into retail space which we probably wouldn't do in the uk because we're not a uk centric brand you know if i had done that and had all these long-term leases been in trouble yeah so some people have done that and they had good landlords some had really bad landlords some were able to get help some weren't but you know i think things like bricks and mortar can be a real drain depending on what the product is about 90 percent of our businesses 
overseas. So US all the climbs and nice beaches. Do you know what? I looked at your website and just thought I'm really jealous of this guy because he's got brands that means he has to go and visit beaches, do some surfing, go to Ibiza, push the brand out there in that environment. I was like, that's genius. Thanks a lot. <laughs> I was living in Bali before COVID and I had to unfortunately come back to London. But uh, yeah, it has benefits. I think you you alluded to some questions earlier just about how important money is. And yeah, we all want to be successful and money is a measurement of success and money can give you can buy you some freedom to some extent, give you a chance to do cool things. Things like travel and experiences and friendships and enjoying things like so I enjoy surfing. They are in some ways more rewarding and I get more out of life from those things. But for sure. Yeah. No. I'd agree with that. So using money as a way of buying the life you want and that freedom and those experiences rather than money for money's sake, a big number in your bank account. Yeah, I think so. I think I just I touched upon it in terms of my sort of character. It's, it's just, yeah, I don't, because I don't have expensive tastes really and desires for that. I think, yeah, m- money can buy, to an extent, it can buy you some time and it can buy you some free space and freedom mm-hmm. and things, but you have to get a balance with it. So just looking to the future, we're nearly getting to the end here, but just looking to the future, what are your ambitions for Bordies? Like what's next and what's keeping you focused at the moment? Last year, we won a, an award from the Queen, actually. We won the Queen's Awards for Enterprise International Trade. Did she give you the award? Have you met the Queen? I met Prince Charles. What? Uh, we went to a reception at Windsor Castle, shook his hand. Uh, Did you give him some baudy? Should we look out for that in the Daily Mail? I was thinking about it. The security was very tight oh. there and didn't seem like the right occasion. But I had a really <laughs> good work. Yeah, that felt like a right, it felt like an amazing accolade and great achievement, especially given the sort of difficult 20. Yeah. But looking forwards, it's trying to just build a sustainable brand. And I mean that in two ways, actually. Sustainable in terms of long lasting, but I touched upon like environmentalism and, you know, we do care about the impact our brand could have on the environment from living in Bali, from enjoying the ocean. We want to create the best products we can that have the least impact on the environment. So we want to create a sustainable brand in two senses and grow organically. We don't have targets per se. We don't have investors breathing down our neck. We can go as slow and steady as we want. We're ambitious and there's huge opportunity. I want Bordy to be swimwear, clothing, accessories, brand for men's, women's, kids worldwide. Yeah, yeah. So that there's a lot of beaches, there's a lot of country, there's a lot of consumers. So we've just got to do it in the right way and just try and grow each year. And we've got the best team we've ever had. The designs are incredible. We're building really good infrastructure. We've got some great third-party like factories and warehousing, logistics and things. Things yeah. are the best shape it's ever been, but it's not going to happen overnight. So we, we put... That's an amazing ambition. I wish you all the luck with it. Just for our listeners now, where can people find... You mentioned who it's for, but where can people access, you know, the, these items? Online. Just come to our website in the UK. It's bordiesapparel.co.uk. The international website is .com. If you live in the UK, you can go to Liberty in London, Fenwick, London, Newcastle. We sell our kids' line in Selfridges in London and also in Harvey Nichols. So if you Google Bordies, you'll find one of our stockings. We also sell Next as well. So there's a wide range. Plenty, plenty of places for people to find. Somewhere. Yeah, and it's the perfect weather right now. And they're all booking to go on holiday because they've missed their holiday. So there must be loads of people shopping for their summer wardrobes right now. Absolutely. So lastly, Nick, I was 
I like to ask my guests five quick fire questions. Are you ready? Okay. Get ready. Drink your tea. You ready? Are you a saver or a spender? Uh, saver. What's been your best investment? Property. And your worst? I'll come back to that. What's Does money make you happy? To, to an extent, yes. What was the last thing you bought? I booked a trip to Florence. So. Have you been on it yet? Was it any good? And going on Friday, so. Very good. I went to Florence, really enjoyed it. I went on one of those Segway things and they said, you can't fall off them. You can. So beware. I clipped a car wing mirror and when you fall off, they just keep going. Yeah. So it's like falling off a horse or something. You have to run after it and catch it. There's my tip for you in Florence. In terms of worst investment, I can't think of any in particular, but all I'd say is I'm a big believer that you get what you pay for. The worst investments may be things where I've tried to cut corners. I've tried to do things a bit more cheaply and not pay for like quality stuff, whatever it might be in life. I've learned, that with, for example, we did a photo shoot tomorrow and you know, it's very expensive with models and studio and photographer and the rest of it. You Hopefully we will end up with some amazing photography. Uh, and I know we will because uh, the more we, we spend, the better the results. Wonderful. Well, Nick, it's been great to have you on the show. Thank you so much for joining me. You're welcome. And then for our listeners, it's time to educate yourself about money. Nick's business journey has been fascinating, proving that the more knowledge we have, the better. So number one, take stock of what you have. Number two, read up on the market and keep yourself informed. And three, plan. Head on to unbiased.co.uk for information, tools and calculators that will help you all achieve your financial goals. Thanks for listening to the Unbiased podcast and today's guest, Nick Crook from Bordies. Please subscribe to our show, give us a five-star review and tell the people you care about to have a listen. Making a high-quality podcast like this one takes a lot of work. That's a fact. But not when you hire a podcast company. With our White Glove experience, we handle everything for you. From guest outreach all the way through to publishing and promotion, we handle it all. You show up to hold great interviews and build relationships with your guests, and we take care of everything else. Podcasting is not just about the audience. Every podcast interview is the start of a new relationship. With a weekly podcast, you'd build relationships with 52 ideal partners or prospects through your podcast interviews over the next 12 months. Do you believe that 52 new relationships would help grow your business? We do. Contact jason at apodcastcompany.com and let's talk.